You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 98. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. So great to have you back for another episode, episode 98. So if you listen to 97, then you know I just went off on a rambling, rambling madness. I don't know what I would call that. Um, so close to just hitting re-record over that one and just shooting it again. I just decided not to. It's that that fire inside of me that wants to bring you incredible value every time you hit play because I realize how important your time is. I realize how much weight so many of you put upon this show. Um, it was really tough for me to bring that Bitcoin idea to you guys because I, I just feel like it's a bit of a, a failing in me, right? And I know fail is first attempt in learning. So it's certainly something that I just have to release into the wind and just take the lesson and, and be okay with the fact that it was just a very expensive lesson. And no sooner do I hit stop on the recorder than a pop-up notification on my phone says, Bitcoin. The let's see what it's saying. Bitcoin closes 2020 as the best performing asset of the last decade. <laughs> I'm just like, thanks, phone. Thanks, phone, for rubbing it in. When we think about the choices we've made in our past and we think about better ways to make choices in the future, that's really what, to me, the essence of being a human is. If somebody were to, somebody recently asked me what I thought the meaning of life was, and I said it was to learn and grow. I really honestly believe that. Some people might say, well, the meaning of life is love. The meaning of life is is family. The meaning of life is whatever you want to put back there. Then in NLP, we call we would call it chunking up. So, okay, so take the meaning of life is love or the meaning of life is family or friendships or relationships and then chunk up. What do you have to do with your love loved ones, your family, your friends, your relationships in order to really bring out the most fulfillment in those. You have to learn and grow from them. Everything that you could possibly say to yourself is the meaning of life. If you chunk up, you have to learn and grow in order for those things to take on more and more meaning and for them to become more and more established within you. So when I say that the meaning of life is to learn and to grow, it, because of this gigantic umbrella I have created under learn and grow, everything can live inside of it. Just like in the my life's blueprint, which was my first uh, iteration of a life coaching program for those in addiction recovery, it's how I organize my life. I organize it with three spheres, right? You've got these three spheres that everything in life can fit into, career, self, and relationships. And each one of these spheres has a four pillars that keep it up, that keep it inflated, if you will, going along with this analogy. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And spiritual, it doesn't necessarily have to be religious, though for some of you it is. For others, especially for somebody like me, who's more of a universalist, I consider my spiritual aspect my my morals, ethics, and values, which in essence is why religion really got brought about to the masses 
was to teach these stories that that brought about a moral, ethical, or a value-centric life. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. These are the four pillars of my three spheres. Anybody else's organizational structure for life can easily fit into mine. It's just how I choose to do it so that when I go on a hike to Zion, I say, okay, for myself, I'm being physical. You know, for myself, I'm stepping into an emotional space and I'm, I'm, I'm loving nature, right? Mentally, you know, I'm, I'm testing out my problem-solving skills as I climb the rocks, stuff of that nature, you know, and then, I'm, and then spiritually, I'm just getting more in touch with, with who I am as a human being. Then my other sphere, relationships, well, I did this with my girlfriend and her son. So all four of those right? Mental, you're having conversations on the trip. Emotional, you're sharing this emotional amazingness that is Zion. Physical, you're, you're both walking, you're, you're both hiking together, right? You think about the career. Well, physically, you know, I was able to stay in better shape so I can have more stamina when I do things, right? Especially standing up on a stage teaching for six hours a day. Emotional for my, for my career, I got to have this emotional journey through Zion that I get to share with you. Mentally, I thought a ton about my NLP and my career. I just, you know, my mind just wanders on these hikes. My moral ethics and values, as far as the spiritual aspect for my career, just getting more in tune with nature just allows me to feel more grounded, more authentic. So when I went to Zion, I literally covered all 12, and I call them quadrants because I picture it as like a house. Right, that's why it's that's why the original program was called Life's Blueprint. And you've heard me talk about this on other episodes. So for those of you who have literally gone through them all, then you know exactly what I'm referencing. So you've got the three spheres, you and I used to call them four components, now I call them pillars. So you've got these four pillars and they and they, they keep up this amazing McMansion of a life that you are creating for yourself, and there's these quadrants or rooms. Right? And so when I go to Zion, I literally am doing direct work on all 12 of my rooms inside my amazing house that I call my life. And this is the very first iteration. And I came up with all of this when I first got sober because I was just trying to figure out a way to know each day I was working on something. I was pushing myself further and forward, right? So if I, you know, went on a hike with my roommate, all of a sudden that became like six different quadrants that I was working on in just that. I was like, wow, I actually did some really good stuff in, in these six quadrants today. If I was like, hmm, I'm not happy with my career. Well, where am I not happy? Physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual? Okay, well, now that I've figured that out, I can go directly to that room and I can do some remodeling. I can do some cleaning. This is why whenever I coach people, this is why whenever the program comes out February 1st, it will be modeled after this organizational structure. Because then every single day I can go to bed knowing, okay, I worked on these seven rooms. Tomorrow I should probably work on those other five. Because remember, there's 12 rooms. There's 12 quadrants because there's three spheres and there's four pillars and three times four is 12. You're welcome. I know you wanted to learn some multiplication today. (laughs) So as I move forward into 2021 and I really begin to become more... Uh, of service, but also more uh, aggressive in the way that I would reach out to addiction recovery centers or I reach out to colleges, right? I can't sit back on the sidelines expecting people to find me. I have to go out and seek them. I create my own tribe. 
uh, there's a program I'm building for the college community called Be Yourself, Create Your Own Tribe. Because a lot of people in high school and college are so worried about fitting into a tribe, they change who they are. And we all did this, whether you realize it or not, I'm bringing this to your attention now. We all did this when we were in middle school or high school or college in order to fit in. And it's often how we ended up in this situation where all of a sudden we were hanging out with the people who were doing the things they were doing that led us to do the things that they were doing. And for many of us, all of a sudden, boom, now we're in the throes of addiction. I was the leader of a tribe full of addicts. People would be like, I can't hang out with you anymore, Jesse. You drink too much. I heard that so much in my 20s. Because people realize if you're going to be around me, you're going to be using. So I would have people opt out. So whether you were the leader of, a, of an addiction tribe or whether you were a follower in an addiction tribe, either way, had I chosen to be myself and not worried so much about fitting in, and I wrote about this, um, if you go to my Instagram link, you'll see it's called My Soberoso Story, I think. And there's a woman who runs a website about sober stories. And I talk about how my need to fit in led me to party hard because those people will always let you in. The easiest social circle to join is the addiction one, the one where people are partying. Because as long as you show up with a, a 24-pack and, and a bag full of weed, you're in. If you show up with all the LSD and all the cocaine, trust me, if that's a party that wants that, they will invite you in. You will be the center of attention. And that's not the kind of party that wants that, but that's what you want to do. You will find the party that wants that, or you will create that party. So let's discuss my, I really don't know where I was going with that, so I'll just stop. <laughs> I really think I should just start doing like a daily radio show for three hours on some, <laughs> and just have people call in because I could literally just sit here and talk about this stuff for hours. Let's talk about my top 10 uh, episodes for 2020. Now, I went through my list. Now, look, I think that they're all great, especially the people I had come on as guests. Uh, Cannot say enough about all of them. But when I started going through and was looking at the ones that seemed to really stand out, um, although I'm seeing number 79, A State of Trance, that was a pretty damn good one too. It didn't make this list. Um, There's no particular order here. I just went through and started to talk about them. In fact, I'm going to add State of Trance. It's going to be top 11 now. So I just started to go through and be like, wow, there were some really great topics. Which ones really seem like they they stick out? And these are the ones that stuck out. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to these in the archive yet, or if you want to go back and check them out again, again, no particular order all right, so the first one is, uh, it's number 49 in iTunes, but it is actually, depending on how your system counts it, episode 48. It's addiction and cross-addiction. Um, when Cross-addiction is when you turn your addictive behavior towards something else. I thought this was a really great one to touch upon, the very first one I wanted to discuss with you because of my cross-addiction with what I did with cryptocurrencies. I was looking for something to obsess on. I was looking for a quote-unquote get-rich-quick scheme. I was looking to try to you know conquer something that wasn't conquerable, 
right? You, no matter how good somebody thinks they are at day trading and stuff of that nature, it really is, you know, just, it's a, it's a beast that it's untamable. You might have some wins, but you're going to have a lot of losses too. Anyone who works with the stock market will tell you there's an incredible amount of losses that go along with those wins. So where in your life do you have cross addiction? Where have you turned your addictive behavior towards something else so that you're still being an addict? You're just maybe thinking that you're doing, you know, oh, but I'm not. Look, I'm investing in Bitcoin and this is going to help me in the future when this thing's worth blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to sink myself into incredible debt and I'm going to keep myself up at night. Where are you being cross-addicted to sugar or cross-addicted to caffeine or cross-addicted to nicotine? Where in your life are you noticing that you've turned your addictive behavior that was once just for alcohol and drugs towards something else? Right? That's really awesome to think about. So go back and listen to episode 48. It's called Feelings, Emotions, Addiction, and Cross-Addiction. Uh, when I look at it on iTunes, for some reason, it, it numbers them differently. Like it's got number one as last week's episode. Um, or in this case, it will be episode 97. So I think it's because I'm l- looking at it through the store. But it's episode 48. So go back and check out episode 48. Then the next one we're going to discuss is about depression. And this was episode 51. And writing that down, episode 51. And what I loved about talking about depression, it was depression, suicidal thoughts, and their attachment to your identity, is if you keep telling yourself that your life is crap, then that's the life that you'll create, right? I, uh, I, I talked a lot about planning ahead, getting out of your over, getting out of your own head, right? Releasing negativity around events and taking a lesson from them. When I was first taught in LP, one of the things that the instructor, my, my teacher, discussed heavily was that the best way to get out of depression is to stop spiraling in your own head and get out of your house, get out of your own head, and go be of service to other people, right? I, I was told this by my therapist. I've been told this by a lot of my coaches. If you ever start to spiral in your own depression, go out and be of service, I have forced myself to hit record on the podcast or I have forced myself to hit record on my iPad for the IG lives in times where I was full of anxiety and stress because of Bitcoin or because of my love life or because of my financial situation with the pandemic, whatever it might be. There have been times where I probably should have discussed that with you all instead of whatever it was I discussed. And so that'll be something that we step into a lot more in 2021 is that if if there's an overriding feeling I have, that I will discuss it more tangibly. And so if you find yourself swirling in your own depression, where is there an opportunity for you to get out of your own head, stop spiraling about your own lack or or scarcity mindset that you're in, and go be of service to somebody else? That's what that episode was about. Now, because some people choose to be offended by the most slightest things, Right, and that's look. If you choose to be offended by some of the things I say, then you've chosen that. Now, if I say some really heinous stuff, right, I will make amends and I will apologize, and I really feel like I'm very good about being mindful that I talk to thousands of people every week, and I cannot possibly know everybody's situation. 
So go into it knowing that I never mean anything nefariously. I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't mean to say something that might offend you. But you can also choose to understand that I'm not trying to be offensive, that I'm just trying to get you to see things a different way, feel things a different way, hear things a different way, or you can choose to be offended. Either way, it's your choice. Right? I have some friends who are, I have a lot of friends who are not of the Caucasian race. And some of them get very offended when somebody even slightly hints around to a racist comment. And others just let it roll off their back. Now, I don't think people should be racist. I don't think you should be dropping the N-word or any other slur towards anyone. Like, what the hell is your issue? At the same time, some people just live in their own reality. They live in their own world where they think that saying that to other people is somehow okay. I have some friends who do not think it's okay, and they will bow up and they will be ready to go at the slightest inkling of a racist thought coming out of somebody's mouth. I have other friends who just shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, man, you know, some people are just, it's just some people. One sector of my friends chooses to be offended, and another side chooses not to be offended. Right? You can also do the same thing. You can choose to be offended or you can choose not to be offended. Yes, I do think that some of the, a lot of the isms, racism and sexism and ageism, they are poison in our society. And we should do everything in our power to get people to not feel, think, and talk like that. At the same time, you can't just twist everyone's arm. You can't beat everyone into submission. There has to be a natural desire to change. You Sometimes it might take a whole life for someone to change. It makes me think of John McCain, who was very against um, homosexuality and gays marrying until his daughter came out as a lesbian. And then all of a sudden he was voting for pro-gay things. As soon as it touched his home and he had to make a choice, either disown his daughter or change the way he had felt for decades, he chose to love his daughter and to change the way that he thought. For some people, it can take an entire lifetime for them to finally realize that the way they're thinking isn't beneficial. So think about that whenever you see somebody throwing something negative out of their mouths. Be like, okay, where could I just help them take one small, simple step toward a better way of treating other people? I don't know how on earth I just got into all of that while talking about depression and suicidal thoughts, but I guess this is all just part of your thinking process. If you're spiraling in your own depression, go back and listen to episode 51. Oh, that's why. Because when I talk about depression, I've got messages from some people. Well, you don't know what my life was like, and I'm on medication, and my doctor told me I'm clinically depressed, and this is just how I'll be for the rest of my life. I'm like, okay, fine. Your doctor told you you're clinically depressed, and you have to take this drug for the rest of your life. But if you constantly are telling yourself that you're depressed and you're constantly thinking that this pill is the only way out of it, then that's the world that you're going to create for yourself. I know a lot of other people who, who used to say they were on Zoloft or Paxil or whatever those drugs are called, who were like, oh my goodness, then all of a sudden I got on this homeopathic remedy, or all of a sudden I started eating better, and next thing you know, I wasn't dealing with that anymore. There are other ways. Let's, let's all just know that the American health system is, a, it is, it is not a health care system, it is a sick care system. 
They will do anything in their power to lock somebody in to a drug for as many years as possible. Now, my dad used to be on insulin for his diabetes. Certainly, that there are drugs that are absolutely necessary. But there's other opportunities in life to see depression of a different way. If you are literally on these drugs and it is keeping you from having wildly suicidal thoughts and wanting to harm yourself, then by all means, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a shrink. You can just continue to do the things that you're doing. You can also choose to start looking at other options. Yes, this is working now. But is there another option for you down the road? My sister's on a lot of these anti-anxiety medications. I would never tell her not to be on them. I will encourage her to look at ways that her diet or her environment or her thinking or her, or her, or her thoughts on her feelings could begin to be changed slightly every single day. And then five years from now, all of a sudden, she doesn't feel the need to be on these drugs. Again, I'm not a doctor. If, you, if, you're, if you're on these drugs, be on these drugs. Do whatever you want to do. I'm just simply offering up another opportunity to look at things from a different perspective. God knows I spend an inordinate amount of time looking at things from a different perspective. I just spent seven minutes trying to explain how I see things from a different perspective and how you might be able to help somebody else see things from a different perspective in order to help them take a small, simple step towards a better way of thinking. There are infinite possibilities for the lives that every one of my listeners is involved in right now. I cannot possibly hypotheticalize all of them. So just go into any one of these episodes knowing it is only my hope to just give you another way of thinking, another way of seeing, another way of feeling, another way of looking at life. You choose to do with it what you will. By no means is my intention to somehow belittle or downplay the world that you live in. I can't understand every single listener's world, but I can certainly attempt. And I can certainly offer you up another way of seeing things. And episode 51 about depression was a really awesome opportunity to see things from a different way. Another episode, being patient in life and with your addiction recovery. This was episode 66. I absolutely loved this one. Be patient in life. See, One of the ways I see patience, patience is not the act of waiting. Patience is the attitude that you have while you're waiting. What is your attitude as you move through your addiction recovery, as you move through your sobriety? We as addicts have an issue with impulse control. It is instant gratification mechanism that's triggered by, just to me, by the human, it's it's just part of the human condition, right? This is why the phones have become the number one addiction in the world. Because people will just stare at that thing because you push a button and it does something. Watch what happens if all of a sudden it takes an app four seconds to open when it used to take a millisecond. We get super impatient. I hit, I hit play on the television and I get that it's streaming over the internet and there's, there's a, lot of different, a lot of different steps that have to happen in order for you know Netflix to stream on my television. And if it takes five extra seconds for it to buffer, I get, I'm like, ah, back, back, forward, forward, turn it off, reboot. And I'm like, whoa, it's just taking a few seconds. 
we are an instant gratification society. And we as addicts, we as former addicts have an impulse control issue. So go back and check out episode 66 about learning to be patient in life and with your addiction recovery. The next one on my list, episode 70. It was called 27 Feet to a Better Mood to a Better You. This one was all about how that 95% of our serotonin levels are actually what determines our mood, anxiety, stress, sex drive, all of this stuff is happening in the gut. And it's happening in with what we eat. And so I'm looking at it right now, see what all I wrote into the show notes. And this we discussed the gut, the belly, the, the, it's called the enteric nervous system for you sciencey inclined folks out there is what I put in the notes. And, um, so yes, and this one I found really exciting because I remember learning this a few years ago from another coach who focused on, um, rebuilding serotonin levels through the belly, through like conscious eating and, 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 uh, vegan or keto or any of those kind of diets. And so I just got super excited about this episode. So if you're wondering why you feel depressed, wondering why you feel blah, why you're not generally happy with yourself or your life, think about what it is you're consuming. Lots of Coca-Cola, lots of sugary foods. This is what's happening to you. Go back, listen to episode 70, 27 feet to a better mood, to a better you. I love talking about how food can really uh, bring out the best in you or it can really bog you down. I certainly have noticed in the month of December, I said, okay, you know what? Just enjoy yourself. Eat the cake and eat the pie and eat all the Thanksgiving food and eat all the Christmas food. And I've been able to maintain my weight pretty much, give or take a few pounds here or there. And I know that when I move into January, you know, and it's time to um, get back to my regular schedule. Uh, of eating because the holidays will be over that I'll be able to, you know, put on my new running shoes. A girlfriend got me this awesome weighted vest for Christmas because I've been talking about wanting a weighted vest for two years now. So I can actually strap this vest on me and it's 40 pounds. You can take them out so it can be, you know, five pounds or it can be 40 pounds. There's all this weight in it. And I look forward to putting that on in my morning walks and, you know, going and, and jogging with that on just to make things more difficult, help me burn some calories because I realized, you know, some of this anxiety and stress I've been feeling around uh, myself or my career, or my relationships, I haven't exactly been putting the best food in my body either. And whenever I eat a bunch of vegetables and some chicken, I notice immediately the next day I feel so much better than whenever I eat the medium rare T-bone and the three slices of carrot cake. So go back and check out episode 70. Um, it's all about gut and serotonin. And, oh, the little buddy dog is sitting here and he's getting some pets on his head. Um, go back and look at the serotonin and how your gut can actually control your mood. Absolutely fantastic episode. Another one is seeing and believing does not make it a reality. And this was episode 71. And we discuss how that one was all about me using virtual reality goggles while I was in Tulsa visiting my gator friends and how just because you see it and just because you believe that it's there, it does not make it reality. And this is just a great episode to just sort of check ourselves. And uh, what I put in the show notes, it stirred the idea in my head that just because my eyes see it and thus my mind believes it does not make it reality. Where in your life are you creating a reality that does not exist? Are you fully in your power? Or are you blaming others on the life that you have? 
Are you blaming your environment? This was a great episode. Now, whether I talked about it in that episode or not, I'll reference it at least now, in that we create our own reality around this pandemic. Right? When I when this thing first happened, I was like, okay, I'm furloughed from my job. All of a sudden I have all my days available to me. It's not five days a week, you know, six AM to, to noon at a hotel job. So what can I create? And I created a lot. I got my book out, you know, Amazon bestseller. I did each one of these podcasts to my fullest extent for an entire year. I was able to give presentations and workshops. I was able to learn how to teach NLP and become a master trainer in that. I was able to accelerate my coaching in ways I previously had not even thought about. All because the pandemic all of a sudden gave me basically nine months off from my normal job. So if you chose to see this as an opportunity to paint your house or clean your gutters or remodel or spend more time with the family or whatever it might be, right? That's one way of seeing it. Or it could be, oh, woe is me. The pandemic has ended my life as I've ever experienced it. Now I have to have all new daily habits, right? You can choose to see it negatively or you can choose to see it positively. And that's what episode 71 was about. And I absolutely recommend you go back and check it out. What is the next one on my list? Four stages of learning a skill. Now, this was a really good one. This one is showing it as episode 88. This is the um, unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent or unconsciously competent. Uh, I saw another one that where it called it unconsciously unskilled, consciously unskilled, consciously skilled, and unconsciously skilled, which I think is of all the competence in there. It, it, it just unconscious, unconsciously incompetent, unconsciously incompetent. I remember when I did that episode, how hard it was to say that stuff so many damn times. <laughs> So you could also see it as unconsciously unskilled, right? Where you don't even realize that's it, it, when I was taught this, it was think about it as a car. A little baby doesn't even know that they don't know how to drive a car. They're just in the seat and they just, they're just watching the world around them. They're unconsciously unskilled. They don't even know it's a skill they can learn. Once a, a child gets about talking age and can start asking questions, they become consciously unskilled. Right? They know driving is something that people do. They just don't know how to do it. But they know it exists. They know that driving exists. Whereas a little baby has no idea that driving exists. They don't even understand the concept of a car. Right? Then you go to consciously skilled. Where now this would be like you learning the when you go through your driver's test. You know, that first five or so years of your driving where you're you're consciously skilled at it. You've taken tests. You're, you've allowed yourself to get a license to do it. But it doesn't come second nature, right? You may not be able to play the music very loud or whenever the traffic gets really bad, you have to like put hands back on 10 and 2 and super focus the entire time, right? Like you're skilled at it, but you have to put a lot of thought into it still, right? And then unconsciously skilled is where it just becomes second nature. This is for those of us who've been driving for 10 or 20 years and no matter how much chaos is going on around us, we're pretty good. Right, you could think of a surgeon who you know sits there and you know could be like in Grey's Anatomy where they're talking about their love life while they're sitting there slicing people open because they just they've done the appendix surgery five hundred times. They are just unconsciously skilled at it. And I taught this to everybody just for the idea that you realize that there will be things that you didn't even know existed, 
right? And I think, I, I don't know if it was the college show or this show where I talked about the four stages of, of how you get into things. And it was that you're curious, then, then, then you're interested, then you're passionate, then, you're, then you find purpose in it. Well, when you first get into something and you first get curious about it, if you didn't even really know it existed previously, then that's where you become all of a sudden consciously unskilled. You're like, ooh, that's really cool. I wonder what that, I wonder what's going on with that. Right then, you then you get interested in something, and you start to get more into it. Now all of a sudden, you're consciously skilled. You've actually begun to practice at something for a period of time, and then when you become unconsciously skilled, is when it becomes a passion. It becomes something that just you do all the time. You're so into it. Any conversation that comes up about, uh, I don't know, it could be you know, how to make T-shirts. You're just so good at making T-shirts that you just can sit there and you can explain the entire process to someone, whether they understand it or not, that's, that's a moot point to the fact that you at least are so unconsciously skilled at it that you could teach it. That's, in many aspects, I'm still consciously skilled within NLP, and then there's other aspects where I'm just unconsciously skilled. Shooting a podcast, getting on here and talking about stuff, that's an unconscious skill. I have to step back into the conscious skill aspect of it when I'm making show notes, when I'm organizing my thoughts to make sure that it comes out coherently. You can see, if you've been listening all the way up to now, <laughs> that there are times where clearly I'm just going off on these rambling tangents, right? And for those of you who are practiced enough with me, you, you're able to grab out the nuggets. But if somebody were to just show up at episode 98, they might be like, what the hell? This guy is just jumping all over the place, right? Because they just got a taste of me. They didn't grow up with me from episode one all the way up till now. So I love talking about the four stages of learning, unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent, and unconsciously competent. You can see now why I've switched it to skill, can't you? Because <laughs> unconsciously unskilled, consciously unskilled, consciously skilled, and, unco- and unconsciously skilled, while still a whole lot of skilled and unconscious is in there, there's still way be- Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not any easier to understand. Uh, let's see. What was it? uncomfortably oh yeah then i think i followed it up yeah so as if that wasn't complicated enough right this 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 unconsciously consciously skilled unskilled the very next episode um episode number 90 i went into or episode 89 i went into uncomfortably comfortable versus comfortably uncomfortable so what i basically did is i put together back-to-back episodes of tongue twisters (laughs) but i loved this episode and i talk about it all the time I did a market research interview with one of my listeners for the program that's coming out February 1st. And he was the one who taught me about how a lot of people, he's the one that first introduced me to this idea that a lot of people are uncomfortably comfortable. They call it the comfort zone because you think that's where you're comfortable, but you're actually uncomfortable in your comfort zone. Your comfort zone was using, right? And that's what you knew, but you didn't really want to be there. You wanted to be sober. Right, but you but you you just got so comfortable in this uncomfortability that you didn't want to change it, and so as we got more into this, I was like, "Oh my goodness, dude!" So there's really like this idea of being comfortably uncomfortable, where you're always in your uncomfort zone, but you're comfortable there because you spend so much time there, and that's where I'm at with a lot of areas of my addiction recovery and just my life in general. If I decide all of a sudden I want to turn this into a YouTube show, I'm consciously skilled enough about how to put on a YouTube show because I've done them in the past to realize, okay, 
I can do this, but I'm going to have to go watch a bunch of YouTube videos on how to title things correctly or how to do thumbnails or how to use hashtags, right? It's not the same as with podcasting. I am just super, I am just unconsciously skilled at getting on a microphone and talking about things that I find interesting, right? It's just, it goes without saying that I can figure this out, right? So I'm no longer uncomfortable doing this stuff. Right, get up, get me up on a stage where my enthusiasm and my excitement take over. Okay, now all of a sudden, I'm comfortable in that uncomfortability. When I first started speaking from stage, I was very uncomfortable in that world. There was I, I, I wanted to be comfortable in it, but I was not. I was uncomfortable. Now I'm comfortable in my uncomfortability on stage, but that was not always the case. Right. So go back and so I mean those are two great episodes. Tongue twisters for sure. You might need to take notes because they get they got a little bit all over the place. But I'll tell you what, they were super exciting to do, if for nothing else, to just try to make sure that I didn't get lost in all that uncomfortably comfortable, comfortably uncomfortable stuff. And I did. Go back and listen. There are multiple times where I screwed that up. The next one was um Multipotentialite Communication and Homeostasis, episode 91. I was a little worried about this title, actually, but this was my fastest um, episode to 1,000 downloads. And um, I was really surprised how fast this one took off. The first 48 hours was insane and like higher than my normal numbers. And I'm not sure what was the trigger for that unless people are somehow searching for multipotentialite, which is something I learned off of a TED Talk were people who just have potentials in lots of different things. And about how this idea that we all just need to become laser-focused as a society on one thing is not how a lot of people's brains work. There is a fair amount of the population that wants to somehow figure out a way to take podcasting and addiction recovery along with their skill in writing and their skill in speaking and their skill in teaching and organizing, and they want to do all of them. And that's why I think this grabbed hold of me so much because I hear a lot of people within our addiction recovery world talking about how you know they got, they've got to niche down, they've got to find that one market or they've got to find that one way of being in addiction recovery. They've got to find that one uh, job that will make everything in life perfect. And I say, what if you really are one of those people that need four or five different things all stewed up into, this, into the same pot to really peak that passion and drive your purpose forward, right? And so in this one, I also talked about homeostasis and just the idea of keeping this balance in your life and how people around you got used to a certain version of you. And now that you've gotten sober and you're in addiction recovery, they need to get used to a different version of you. And and there's a balancing that they need to repurpose themselves toward. That it's not just you who's making massive changes when you get sober but it's also everybody around you who's used to version A, and now all of a sudden they have a whole new version B that they need to now become more comfortable incorporating into their life, and how there needs to be a there needs to be a give and take on that, and realize that not everybody's going to fully understand how to be involved in this new version of you. So definitely go back and check out episode ninety one. Absolutely love that one. And then I also had I think I went back and got scarcity mindset. Loved this one. This is episode 73. Um, Scarcity mindset. Scarcity versus abundance mindset. It's uh, enough said. Go and check that out. You hear me talking about scarcity versus abundance mindset a ton. I will definitely tell you, 
I stepped into scarcity mindset with that Bitcoin stuff. Literally, as I'm shooting these episodes today, one of my buddies, I got into Bitcoin, just texted me, was like, hey, did you, did you hold on to your Bitcoin? And I have not told him that no, I sold it before it broke 20. And now all of this fun that he's having, because I gave him the idea to do it, is not something I get to be involved in now. I, I, I told everyone to get into this stuff, and a lot of people did, and they're all dancing in the streets. And meanwhile, I'm standing on the sidelines. And it was a scarcity mindset. How can I turn this five grand into 20 as fast as possible? Instead, it all went away, right? Where in your life are you allowing a scarcity mindset to emotionally trigger you instead of stepping into an abundance mindset where you can be emotionally grounded in making well-thought-out decisions? Go check out episode 73. And by all means, this was July 17th, (laughs) months before I started making these dumbass decisions with Bitcoin. And then last but not least, impossible goals. Um, let's see, these was episode 61 and episode 62. And just the idea, these are great, especially moving into new year. Go back, listen to 61, 62 about impossible goals and taking massive action for them. And then think about the goals you want to set and accomplish in 2021. There is a huge, huge amount of internal drive that we have stepped into when we decided to get sober and then move into addiction recovery. A huge amount of internal drive, right? Anyone who has chosen, my my therapist once said this, she, uh, let me finish what I was getting ready to say. Anyone who's chosen addiction, sobriety and addiction recovery to me has a huge turn, huge amount of internal, internal, boy, spit these couple sentences out, internal drive and ambition. My therapist once told me that she would never call anyone who's in sobriety and addiction recovery lazy because it is the hardest thing to do. And this impossible goal, these two episodes, speak volumes that if we're able to take on this, this responsibility with our lives, imagine what else we can accomplish if we don't let our limiting beliefs, our limiting mindset, and our limiting decisions keep us from attaining and achieving that for which we most desire. Step into that. It's not goal setting we have issues with. It's goal accomplishing. That's for the entire human populace. People are like, I have a problem with goal setting. No, you don't. You can set a goal. I want to get up every day at 7 a.m. and go running. Oh, I only did it two, two mornings in a row and then I never did it again. I guess I have a problem with my goal setting. No. You had a problem with your goal accomplishing because you set the goal. You you set goals with words. Thoughts become words and you've set the goal. It's the actual act, the action, the behavior. That's where the issues lie. Now, we could say that you set a goal that was ridiculous. You've never gotten up at 7 a.m. In the mor- to run in the morning your entire life. And then you decide your news resolution is to start getting up every single morning at 7 a.m. and running. Well, there might be a problem with that goal setting. How about you just take a small step and say, one day this week, I'd like to get up in the morning and go run. And then the next morning, if you're feeling up to it, do it again. Then the next week, say, you know what? I'm going to do it two times this week. Right? Then seven weeks from now, you've added on one more day each week. And now all of a sudden, seven weeks into the year, you're actually getting up and running every single morning at 7 a.m. 
if there is any issue at all with goal setting, it's that we will often set these crazy goals and then start to rationalize ways out of them. When you go back and listen to 61-62, it talks about setting impossible goals. I learned this from Brooke Castillo, the life coaching school. I know I've turned a lot of you on to her show. What she says is it's not bad to set these impossible goals. Set them. Set them. But if the impossible goal is I want to get up and run seven days a week, no one's saying that the very first week you have to begin to accomplish that. You can start by just running one day a week for a month. And if you did if every single month you added another day of the week by July, you'd be running seven days a week. You set a quote-unquote impossible goal of running seven days a week. It may have taken you seven months to get to, but the time isn't what we're worried about here. Time has no meaning in any, in, in any of this. What matters is the actual accomplishment of the goal. If I set an impossible goal to make a million dollars a year as a life coach, one, I know that's not impossible because other people have done it. Now, what's the time frame? I'm going to make a million dollars as a life coach and I better do it today. That is insane. So let's be let's use smart goal thinking here and be like, in the A for smart goals is attainable. Is making $1 million today as a life coach attainable? No. No. I don't know anyone I could call up and say, give me a million dollars to coach you this year. <laughs> Even if I called Bill Gates up, he'd be like, who the hell are you again? <laughs> Tony Robbins, he might give a million dollars to. It might be attainable for Tony Robbins, but it's not attainable for me. But if I say I want to make a million dollars as a life coach this year, Right, that's a that might seem like an impossible goal, but that's only seven hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a month, and you start breaking it down, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, that becomes let's say three thousand dollars, you know, like thirty thousand dollars a day. Anyways, I don't need to be throwing out random numbers. I don't even necessarily have that as a goal. Now, by the time I'm fifty, I'd like to be able to achieve that. So go back and look at your impossible goals, and then realize that it's it's what makes them impossible is the idea, it often is, the idea of how long you're going to give yourself to accomplish it. If you say that you want to have the most fulfilling relationships you've ever had in life and you give yourself till the day you die to do that, that's a lot of time. Some tells me you're going to accomplish that. If you tell me that you want to have the most amazing marriage and you want to have it all figured out by the end of today, that's going to make it a little bit more or less attainable. And when it comes to our careers, and I'm going to be talking a lot about this in January because what my program is really geared around helping people achieve these impossible goals, we got to become more comfortable talking about money. A lot of people have money issues about how hard it is to make money or how limited they can do to make money based off of what they've seen the people in their inner circle or in their friends or family or loved ones, what they've been able to accomplish. They then internalize that as what they can accomplish. If you're internalizing what you think others can accomplish and making that your limitations on what you can accomplish, definitely go back and listen to 61 and 62 about impossible goals. And I think that's it, right? Goal setting is about goal accomplishing, right? Humans are compulsive by nature. When someone says, oh, that person's obsessive compulsive or that person's got a compulsive disorder, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? We all do. Anytime you're pointing one finger at someone else, there are four. Well, hold on. Let me point forward. No, there's really only three because the thumb tends to rest on the middle finger, right? When you point forward. Yeah. 
even if you do the Disney point, which is the index and the middle finger, there's still the thumb pointing along with it. So there's only two fingers pointing back. My point is, <laughs> when you're pointing at someone else, there are also fingers pointing back at you. Stop projecting your limitations and your lack or your scarcity upon other people. If you've got issues with your career, your money, your relationships, yourself, it does not mean that other people have those as well. Stop thinking that you're the bar that the entire world has set themselves upon to decide what is achievable and unachievable. Michael Phelps could swim, 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 and win tons of gold medals. He also was a very, according to, uh, according to his mom, he was also very hyperactive and was very rambunctious. And because of this hyperactivity and this rambunctiousness, he needed to... Sorry, I had to step away from the computer for a second and lock the door. Uh, he needed to s- get into his swimming pool and wear off all this energy because I think they even said he may have had like some ADHD. So he was able to channel this internal energy into the swimming pool. Where can you channel your internal energy to accomplish things that you once thought were impossible? The only thing that makes them impossible is our thinking around them. And that's what 2021 is going to be all about stepping into the impossible and making it possible. Like I said in the IG Live with Buddy the Dog as the cover the other day is, shh, don't tell anyone. Nothing I have right now existed when I got sober. I created all of this. There is nothing that I have achieved or anyone in one of your meetings or anybody at your job or anyone in your house or anyone at your church Whatever they have achieved, if you really want to achieve something similar or the exact, then you can do that. Are you willing to prioritize it and sacrifice for it? That's what makes impossible goals a reality. It's the sacrificing for them. Because if you don't sacrifice for the goal, the goal becomes the sacrifice. Let's get rid of the limitations that we allowed into our lives in 2020 because of the social justice issues or because of the presidential election or definitely because of the pandemic and realize that there are people out there who are achieving what they have only believed could be a part of a wildest dream. They figured out a way to achieve it in 2020, which means it's achievable for you as well. Was it, was it Roger or Richard Bannister? His name was Bannister. He's the guy who ran the four-minute mile. People literally thought a human's heart would explode if they tried to run so fast that they were able to accomplish a mile in one minute. Roger Bannister, I'm pretty sure it was Roger, went out and he did it. And within the next couple years, 10 or 20 more people did it. As soon as he broke that barrier and people saw that it could be done, others were able to achieve it. So look around you. And when you see that somebody else has achieved it, that means you too can achieve it. But you don't achieve it by sitting on the couch thinking about it. It's like the secret, that law of attraction. Yes, there is the law of attraction, but then there has to be the law of action to go along with it. Bannister runs a four-minute mile. I came out, I'm going to run a four-minute mile because I saw him do it, and I'm going to go sit on the couch and watch Netflix, and then magically I'll run a four-minute mile. No, those other people had to get out there and run harder than they've ever run before in order to achieve something that they've literally just seen somebody else achieve. If someone around you, if someone on Instagram, if someone in this world has already achieved it, 
then that gives you proof that you too can achieve it. And if somebody has achieved, not achieved it, then that just says, why aren't you the first one? No one had invented Facebook or Twitter or the internet or Amazon or Google or any of those things until they were invented. You can be the person who is the first. But if that seems too daunting, that's okay. Because I guarantee you, whatever it is you're looking to achieve, someone else out there has also achieved it, which says to you that you, can, you too can achieve it. It is time for us to let go of any of the self-limitations that we have allowed to wrap themselves around us during the year 2020 and move forward with a new year and a new outlook. Do you want to look at yourself a year from today wishing you had planted that tree today and then have to plant it then? Or do you just want to go ahead and drop that seed in, start nurturing it, start loving on it, and start creating the best version of yourself every single day moving forward, one small, simple step at a time. Everything you desire is on the other side of action and discipline. Join me over here. And whenever I stumble, I'll let you know. And we'll discuss ways that I can do it better the next time so I'm more prepared when a similar opportunity, a similar choice point arrives at my door. I learned more than I could ever have imagined from dealing with Bitcoin. It breaks my heart that I don't get to be a part of this enjoyment so many others are, are dancing around with right now. But it's okay because it's taught me a valuable lesson. Take a, take a breath, step away, watch things play out a little bit differently. It is what it is. It's a bummer, but there have been so many other bummers in my life that I have learned from. Why should this be any different? And if nothing else, always remember that today is the best day of your life because you woke up sober. Happy New Year. Happy New You. Happy new whatever you want it to be. Just understand that it is a blessing for us to be here sharing this time together. I am honored by your commitment to yourselves on your own addiction recovery journey and that I get to be a part of that. I could never begin to express to you enough how important all of you are in my collective energy in my own sobriety and recovery. In the day in the future, when I get to hold a live event, and so many of you will show up, we'll all be able to feed off this collective energy together, that day will be a beautiful, beautiful day. It is not too far out there into the future. It is coming, and it will be an amazing experience for all. Has always inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Happy New Year. Happy New You. Happiness to your sobriety and your recovery. I love all of you. Thank you so much for another amazing year of the From Sobriety to Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast. I cannot even begin to express to you how grateful 
I am that you listen, how humbled I am by your participation in, in, in your messages and just the integrity that I will continue to move forward with will, will be something that will be measured by my own internal energy and will be obvious to you as you see it happening. Bless you all. Be amazing. Happy New Year. Take care. Love you all. Bye-bye.